This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Spencer Dinwiddie is a professional basketball player on the NBA's Brooklyn Nets. He's also one of the most forward-thinking business minds in the league, which led him to create the first tokenization of a professional athlete's revenue in the United States. In this conversation, we discuss who the best NBA scorer, defender, and shit talker is, along with a surprise choice for the greatest of all time. We also discuss the latest on Spencer's tokenized bond and what the goal of his recent GoFundMe campaign was. I always enjoy talking to Spencer, and I think you guys will love this episode. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. The first is BlockFi. They've got three products. You can buy and sell cryptocurrency, you can deposit crypto and take out a US dollar loan, or you can deposit crypto and stablecoins and earn up to 8.6% interest on your deposit in their interest-bearing accounts. I'm a huge fan of the company, I'm an investor and a user, and I'm most looking forward to later this year when they launch their Bitcoin Rewards credit card. Overall, BlockFi is at the cutting edge of a lot of stuff in Bitcoin and crypto. So go check them out at BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. The interest-bearing account is a no-brainer all by itself. BlockFi.com slash POMP. And don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy-to-understand language while sharing opinions on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com, or just go in the description and you can click on the link there. All right, let's get into this episode with Spencer. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. Spencer's back for round two. Uh, Thanks for doing this, man. Uh, Thank you for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, To start this off, last time we did the rapid fire at the end. Uh, Let's start off uh, in the beginning this time. Who's the best scorer in the NBA? Best scorer in the NBA? Kevin Durant. Easy. Best defender in the NBA? Best defender. Guard or or big? Because that changes things. Both. Both. Um, I'm going to give Bam the best big defender. Very versatile. Uh, Homer picks. Uh, I also like him as a person. And then I'll say best guard defender, Drew Holiday. Most underrated three-point shooter in the NBA. Most underrated. Actually, I'm going to choose Kyrie Irving. Ooh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's actually a really, really, really great three-point shooter, and I think people don't necessarily lock in on how good of a three-point shooter he is. All right. Hardest worker in the NBA? Oh, Spencer Dinwiddie. Yes, <laughs> yeah, sir. All right. Best shit talker in the NBA? Best shit talker. Oh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think I think Russ is always saying funny stuff, especially in the media. Like the, his quote about Patrick Beverly was actually hilarious. <laughs> All time, all time yeah. comment. Uh, best business mind in the NBA. 
best business mind. Um, in terms of what they've actually accomplished, I, I go with LeBron, you know, with the school and everything he's done. So for sure. All right. Uh, best rapper of all time. Boy, all time or are we talking about NBA rapper? Let's go NBA rapper first and then all time. Oh, NBA rapper, I'm going Dame Lillard. Sorry, Jack. <laughs> all right. Um, all time, I think uh, body of work, longevity, you go with Jay-Z. All right, that's a, a solid pick. Uh, greatest. I like Biggie. I like Biggie better, though, but I, I would say you have to go with Jay-Z, just all time, longevity, all that. Okay. Greatest basketball player of all time. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Okay. Why? What's the logic? So, I, the, the GOAT debate, it's always like, I have to ask, like, what do you define GOAT as? So, for me, I say, like, the most dominant in terms of, like, high school, college, pro, like, a, a complete career of just excellence. And if you look at it like that, Kareem is not even close. He, like, never lost in high school. I think it was 85-2 and two in college. He won the championship all three years he played in college. You know, then he goes to the NBA. He's the highest scorer of all time. He's, like, I think in the top 10 or so in rebounds. Like, you know, he's got five rings, like, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. Um, you know, a lot of people measure that as, like, who had the highest peak, in mm -hmm. which case I would say Michael Jordan, for sure. The six titles, you know, not losing in the championship, yada, yada, all that stuff. Like, I agree. But just spanning a complete career, like, to go from – you know, high school to college, like eight years and you only lose two games. And then, you know, you got five tiles in the league and you're the great, a bit, uh, highest scoring mark of all time. Like it's kind of unfathomable. Yeah. It's a good body of work there. What's the greatest, <laughs> what's the greatest prank that's happened in an NBA locker room that fans don't know about? I am sorry. I'm going to have to pass on that. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm I'm not divulging locker room pranks. I'm not. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> the look on your face told us everything we need to know. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into uh, some of the stuff you've been doing. You, uh, I feel like you have seized the moment with quarantine. Uh, it yeah. started with uh, proposing the playoff system. Mm -hmm. So maybe just give kind of a quick two seconds, like where did that come from? And then uh, what was the reaction from the league or, or the team or anything like that when, uh, when you threw that out there? So really it, it all stemmed from obviously quarantine, number one. And then number two, the conversation you have with your boys, you know, just like texting and stuff like that. And you, you start spitballing ideas. You know, you get stuff from like uh, John Geiger and then, um, you know, just other people that, that I talked to. Jeremy Adams, one of my best friends. Um, and so when you formulate and put it all together, I decided to tweet it, see what the fans thought about it. Um, you know, my, my model in terms of social media or motto in terms of social media is just, you know, I want to feel like you're having a conversation with me. So a lot of that stuff that I put on Twitter, especially, um, is really just like my actual thoughts. I'm just kind of talking, you know. Um, the league actually called me about it and asked me to explain it because they wanted to incorporate some of the ideas. You know, people thought they might be mad at me, but they actually really enjoyed that part. Yeah. I, I got to assume that there's some people at the league who they enjoy the the banter, the fan engagement and kind of the forward thinking. And then there's some people who are probably more old school, just like, Hey, we got it. You know, everyone else stay out of our job. 1000%. 1000%. I mean, you, anytime you're dealing with a legacy system, um, there's always going to be people that are like, look, if we just do it our way, it'll always work, you know? And then there's obviously some upstarts that are going to be within the ranks that are like, Hey, you know, maybe, 
maybe that guy's on to something. So I, I know there's uh, some controversy within that um, and some going back and forth within that. Uh, for me, I mean, nothing that I do is designed to harm the league in any way. Like, obviously, why would I, you know, born, uh, start playing basketball at three, four years old, wanted to do nothing else but play in the NBA, why would I try to then, like, take down the NBA while I'm only six years in and potentially have like another, what, seven, eight years to play or something like that. You know, this, this has always been about enhancing um, any, any additional structure. It's been about like engaging the fans because at the end of the day, like the fans, as we see, are the most important piece of the ecosystem. If you guys watch, you know, we still have a job. We still have a, you know, a, a league, a, a system of being an ecosystem. But if, you guys don't watch, then we might as well be playing in the park. I mean, it'd be a lot of fun, but we'd also have to get a day job. Yeah. What, what do you think um, kind of the fan relationship looks like coming out of quarantine, right? Do you think that games end up getting played with no fans in the stadium uh, or do we kind of wait till they can come back? Like, what does that look like from where we're sitting today in kind of end of May of 2020? I mean, with the immediate proposal, really, uh, there, there's, no, there's no way there's going to be fans, you know, um, with uh, finishing this season and, and potentially playing, obviously, these playoffs and, and trying to get a, a true end to the 2020 season, uh, there, there's no way they could do that with fans in such a condensed time. I think uh, 2021, we'll, we'll see what that brings. Um, if, if there's a lot of headway on a vaccine or we just have a lot more knowledge based on, you know, what this virus kind of means and its implications, then I think we will see fans return. I mean, I know, uh, you know that's what the owners are pushing for and, and what the league collectively is pushing for. Yeah. Whoever ends up winning, whatever that ends up meaning uh, for the 2020 uh, final season here, is there an asterisk next to that win? Like, because it wasn't a regular season, yeah. do, do people kind of look at it differently? 1,000%. And, and you got to remember, like, an asterisk doesn't necessarily mean good nor bad. You know, it just means different. Um, I, I know, and we could take, like, let's say the front row, for example, we'll take the Lakers, right? Um, LeBron will have won another championship. He's on a quest to, you know, try to usurp Jordan as, you know, the, the GOAT or the most dominant or whatever you want to call it. Um, Jordan fans will say, no, that championship shouldn't count. It was a weird season. You know, the, the quarantine stuff, and then they played a neutral site, and so it wasn't near as tough as Jordan going on the road and beating the Jazz and the shot and all that stuff. But then LeBron fans will say, well, because he had to deal with all this stuff and because he had to go through all these things, it makes him, it makes that championship better. You know, he had to deal with, you know, Kobe's passing and the turmoil of the league and the quarantine and being off for so much time. And he came back and he was or wasn't rusty and all that other stuff. So when I, when I put out that comment about the Astros, I was merely just saying it causes more controversy in the debate. Um, I wasn't saying it was either good nor bad. Yeah. And, and it almost makes those debates like uh, more lively, right? Ha yeah. Having all of this, it's not so much just, hey, how many championships? Now you get into all the nuances. And exactly. as me and everyone else knows, that's really what, uh, what people love to debate is all the, the, the kind of nuance. 1000%. That, that's what really structures debate. Because if you really were only basing it upon like one hard fact, then there would be no debate because the one hard fact would tell you, uh, you know what I'm saying, the answer. Yeah. Give us an update on uh, the tokenization. So uh, your original proposal came out. Uh, obviously, the NBA wasn't so hot on it. Uh, yeah. You kind of reworked a little bit. Where are you with that right now? And kind of what updates do you have for people? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I always have to preface these things by saying, uh, 
you know, you got to contact the broker dealer on file, Tritorion Capital. Um, you know, we're doing everything obviously on the up and up. It is for red, uh, creditor, accredited investors only. Um, but pretty much, you know, uh, we, we started the process back, well, shoot, when we started the process and, and went through all the legalese and everything, it was, shoot, 18, maybe 20 months ago now. Uh, but when we kind of started talking to the NBA, it was in September of last year. Um, obviously, like you said, they weren't too hot on it. Um, we continued to go forward, uh, talk to them, kind of settled on a structure that was more like a, a pilot. Um, it's, it's a bond, obviously, um, and then, you know, attaching a, a safe to it for the larger uh, business investment as well. But, you know, like, like I've said multiple times, I view this as the start of an asset class. It's about unlocking liquidity and, and creating fan engagement. So um, my bond is not necessarily the most interesting thing in the world, but as this continues to scale, there's going to be a host of different things. You know, any business can offer any product they want. And, uh, you know, we all individually are our own businesses. Yeah. And, and I think what's really interesting about this, right, is you came out with something that was really, really innovative. And then you kind of get walked back a little bit to something that, you know, in your words is, is more boring, but it still gets it done. Right. And exactly. it's almost like it's more important to get it done than it is to have the most innovative, sexiest structure right out of the gate. Is that fair? Oh, that, that's 1000 percent fair. See, and, and that's why I try to you know communicate to people a lot when, you know, they, they see the things like the GoFundMe, they see the things like the initial kind of spitballing of the offering and what was reported or misreported um, in some uh, places. You know, they think if you don't do the, the absolute sexiest thing that you somehow fail. But in a lot of ways, you don't necessarily think that you're going to get all that accomplished when you're do dealing with legacy systems. You understand they're going to draw their hard line somewhere. But what you're saying is this is all of what I want to do. Now tell me what you're going to allow me to do and where we can work together. And so there's typically a midline that, you know, you get to because you were bold enough to say what it is that you wanted to do. But if you come out and you, and you tiptoe, they typically would just try to hush you and move you over to the side and say, you're not going to do it. And then, you know, those people pack their bags and go home. You have to have enough uh, gumption to, you know, really kind of try it. Yeah. Do you think that there would have been a different uh, approach from the league's perspective if it wasn't so much drawn to the um, the player contract and it had been more like sponsorships or, or something like that? Or is it just generally the idea of uh, tokenizing a revenue stream from a player and having fans uh, potentially invest in it? That's really what was kind of they were trying to wrap their head around. Quite honestly, I think it's uh, both. You know, I think uh, they don't necessarily want the, the athlete taking control of their revenue streams or their fan engagement or really um, blurring that line between themselves and the fans and, and really making it uh, a cohesive unit in a sense. I think because their jurisdiction does deal with player contracts, that's why they were allowed to say something. If I was doing that with, you know, Nike money, for example, they could hate it all they want to, but if they came out against it, I could very easily just say, hey, like, this has absolutely nothing to do with you, you know? So um, that that's where they had some jurisdiction, but at the same time, um, I don't think they would have liked it regardless. Yeah. And then uh, you came out with this GoFundMe, which when I yeah. saw it, I, I literally said, this dude's either the biggest genius in the world or this is going nowhere. And so yeah. tell us kind of what, what was the, uh, the impetus for even starting it? Uh, and then kind of how did you structure it? Yeah, no. So, so the GoFundMe thing, it's another kind of tool of fan engagement, right? 
Like, um, there's all these factors that play into a person making a free agency decision. And typically speaking, they try to keep it, you know, off to the side, right? We talk about market size, uh, fan base. We talk about state taxes. Uh, if a shoe company is going to pu uh, push you to a team that has a lot of history or, or a team that, you know, has a big media following or whatever it is, or your hometown, et cetera. You know, there's all these different factors, your family, your friends, all that, right? Well, what if you involve the fans in some of those decision-making processes, right? Like the CBA pretty much states that you can't um, like take a discount or anything like that. So, you know, when I tweeted and then went back and read the CBA, I was like, okay, I have to take out the minimum portion of it, but there's nothing in there that says they can't be factors in your decision. Quite frankly, if I'm choosing a team based upon, you know, their, their fan base and, you know, how big of a, global presence they are then I'm choosing it because of those fans you know I just didn't tell the fans that they're why I'm choosing them you know and, and so kind of reimagining that now when I set the actual price once again I set it sky high because there was no way that it was gonna uh get there and the way I chose that I actually just picked my three favorite numbers put them together multiplied it by the price of bitcoin and got it. People, people thought I was choosing like market value or something else. I literally took, and, and I wrote it, I took 2625.8 and then multiplied it by the price of Bitcoin, which is probably, I think like 9,200 at the time or something in that range. And that's how we got the sky high number. And the reason why I said, you know, if, even if we're a dime short, it all goes to charity is because it was about, it was about the idea and the concept. How can we enhance fan engagement? How can we bring more people in? How can this ecosystem thrive in the middle of COVID, if there are no fans in the in the stands next year, but guys want to do some things that kind of keep people entrenched in the game, well, what happens if they literally chose a player's destination, you know, or if a player had, you know, a set of three destinations? He said, you know what, I'm torn between, you know, Brooklyn and two other teams. You guys pick. You know, and, and, and obviously they wouldn't be able to uh, talk about money and things like that because that's between the player and the, and the team negotiating. But if that, if that was right for him, then he could do that. And if a GoFundMe campaign or uh, another blockchain-based, you know, uh, uh, system allowed them to have that kind of voting power in there, then, I mean, there, there's nothing saying that they couldn't do that. So, you know, like I said, it's picked sky-high number because I knew I wouldn't reach it. It would end up in a charity donation, which, you know, I wanted to do good during COVID as well, but it was all about the concept and the idea. Yeah. Uh, my brother texted me. I, I didn't see it at first when you posted it and he texted me and he goes, what's he doing? And I, as soon as I read it, I said, he might be a billionaire by the end of this. If people give him 25, <laughs> $25 million of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like if, if they, if they had it done, I probably would have been like, Whoa, like what just happened? Um, I would have definitely been uh, shocked to say the least, but yeah, I mean, the the plan was definitely always to give uh, the money to charity. And that's why, you know, I, I wrote it in there like that. Yeah, and, and so I guess part of this is, uh, at least this question of uh, the GoFundMe is a hard one to do. It's had a sky-high price, but but this concept of, like, the fans having a say, uh, yeah. you could imagine somebody building some, you know, kind of auto-magic uh, governance system, let's say, and now fans can actually act almost as, like, mini-GMs, right? Yep. Do you feel like that's, 
closer to a world that will move towards in all sports, not just the NBA? Or do you feel like it's just such a big leap from where we are and owners and teams across the, the major sports, they just don't want to even get into that game where, where fans have that much type of control uh, of players and, and how teams are put together? I don't think they necessarily want to get into that. And maybe I'm 20 years off here, but you're going to have to get there eventually. You know, with, with the more we kind of move into, you know, e-gaming, cyber, all that stuff, part of the attraction of that is the control. You know what I mean? Like, that's just kind of like psychologically speaking, part of the attraction. So, you know, when when you want to continue to compete, especially with live sports, you're going to want to involve these people, you know, as much as you possibly can. You look at the Green Bay Packs, for example, they have one of the most rabid fan bases. And that's because, you know, a lot of those people own shares and feel like they are really entrenched and on the field with the Packers. That's what you want to create. You know, and like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, a fan says, all right, Spencer, we're trading you tomorrow. But maybe it does mean that if I come to a free agency decision and I am choosing between Brooklyn and one other team, that I say, hey, you know what? Normally, I may flip a coin or I may ask my mom or I may ask this or I may ask that. Well, you know what? I'm going to let you guys decide, you know, and, and, and if that's right for that player and, and that specific business then that is, you know what I'm saying, something that, that, that can happen. And I think it will, the NBA will see that that will enhance the ecosystem because they will feel personally responsible now for their team's success or failure. If you tell me to stay on the nets, right, and then we don't win a championship and you feel like I'm the reason we don't win, then you're going to feel also personally liable for the loss. But if you do win, then you're going to feel like you personally had something to do with the win. And at the end of the day, fan is short for fanatic. You want them to feel entrenched in that environment, in that ecosystem. And so the closer you can bring them into, you know, the bubble, the better. Yeah, and, and it feels like there's other aspects of sports, right? I mean, literally just if you own a seat license at, let's say, uh, the New York Giants Stadium, right? Yep. Obviously, the value of the seat license goes up if they're better. It goes down if they suck, right? And, and yep. so there's, there's elements of this. It's just not as direct of like, hey, here's my vote for where you should go. Right. And it exactly. seems like that that's the big leap forward next. Yep. Uh, I think you're 1000% right on that. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about during quarantine, like what are players doing right now? I, I've seen you post on Instagram a couple of times, like you're still trying to work out and, and all of that, but like how hard is that uh, given that you're still um, somewhat expected to be ready to go at a moment's notice really as a professional athlete, but then you've got kind of this whole healthcare crisis and, and lockdown going on. Yeah. Uh, that, that's definitely probably the hardest part. Um, to a restart. I, th I think it's the part that people aren't necessarily talking about enough. I know we have concerns about COVID, obviously. Um, we have families and, and, and people that we take care of that, you know, we we're worried about. But there's also an injury risk to, you know, coming back too quickly if, if they do decide to do that. Um, I know guys are, are trying to work out to the best of their ability. Um, you know, some have access to more things than others, depending upon, you know, their environment right now, which, which city uh, they're in. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's tough. You know, most gyms are locked down, obviously. So getting basketball working right now, um, unless you're a max player and have, you know, a gym in your house and all that stuff, uh, is not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. And, and is there um, concern about, like, coronavirus itself? Obviously, hey, I don't want to pull a hamstring, twist an ankle, that type of stuff is just what we'll call it rust, right, from not playing, yeah. having played for a couple of weeks. But is there actual, like, COVID stuff, um, especially since a couple of players tested positive uh, earlier in the year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is. You know, if you talk around the NBA, everybody is 
cautious. Um, I, I won't say scared because we understand the demographic that we're in, you know, being between 20 and 35 and obviously in pretty good shape uh, that we're probably not, you know, like death risk. <laughs> and we're not in that demographic, but there, there's so little information on it right now that, you know, people are cautious, you know, and, and, and rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, you want to pick one of your teammates who you think will come back uh, least in shape out of all this? Who, who's at home eating all the snacks? Who's at home eating all the snacks? Uh, Theo Pinson. <laughs> <laughs> at home awesome. eating all the snacks. I love it. I love it. Um, Last Dance uh, has gotten a ton of attention, the documentary on Michael Jordan. Uh, what was your general takeaways from uh, from watching it? Um, You really get a glimpse into the mind of, you know, who Michael Jordan was and what made him so great. Uh, you get to see kind of how the Bulls were almost kind of like the Beatles in a sense, uh, the Beatles of the league. Um, that, that's something that obviously I never really – got to experience because I was too young. You know, when they were really on their run, I was four or five years old. So you understand who Michael Jordan is, how great he was as a player and all that stuff, but you don't remember all the fanfare necessarily surrounding it. Um, Dennis Rodman might be my favorite player of all time now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just overall, it was, it, was, it was interesting to see. I mean, really, I wish they could have dived or dove even deeper into everything that went on. Obviously, you know, you only have so much time in a in a ten part doc. Yeah, I saw a tweet about Rodman. Somebody said like, uh, uh, the first tweet was, uh, if you want to know how good Dennis Rodman was, he had Michael Jordan chasing around uh, Vegas to get him to come to practice. Right? Exactly. <laughs> and then exactly. the other one was, uh, you're telling me this man was, you know, a, a multi time NBA champion. He basically was doing drugs, drinking, going to WWE matches. Like they laid out everything in the documentary, and like, yeah. and he still was, you know, not even the best guy on his team. Right. And you nah, just kind of look at it. It's, it's like, look. And, and, and by the way, like all that happens because there's no social media. Imagine some For guy sure. trying to For do sure. that today. Right. No, nah, there's, there's no way. There's no way you would get eviscerated by, you know, coaching staff, fans, media, all that. Like there, there'd be no way because somebody pull out their camera phone and, you know, video evidence is a lot different than hearsay. Um, yeah, that, that, that's not even possible now. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just imagining, like, I was watching it, and when, the, when he disappears after one of the games, right, and they find out he yep. went to the WWE thing, I was sitting there saying, like, imagine today if a player just disappeared, right, and everyone's like, where is he? You would have fans going nuts all over social sure. media. Like, it would be a, a global manhunt to find the player. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, he'd be found because he'd be walking through an airport, whether it was private or not, and somebody would snap a picture and be like, hey, I'm in – you know, Cleveland, Ohio, and I just saw Dennis Rodman, and everybody would be like, what the heck is he doing in Cleveland, Ohio? So, yeah, it would, it would, it would be over quick. Yeah, and then what, what's your take on uh, – I, I saw, like, Horace Grant, I think Scottie Pippen, a couple of guys were uh, unhappy with how the way the documentary was put together. Yeah. Like, what, what's kind of your takeaway from that? I mean, I think the Scottie Pippen one actually kind of caught me off guard because if you look at the way Michael Jordan talked about him, he basically said, like, I don't win without you. You know, and for somebody that is notorious for being extremely hard and unforgiving and holding grudges and outrageously competitive, for him to basically say, like, hey, I needed Scotty. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want him on the team. I needed him on the team. That's a huge compliment. And then, you know, the other stuff that went down, I mean, a lot of that was Scotty's decision. So, you know, I I don't really have too much to say on the Scotty front. On the Horace Grant front, um, I can see how that was tough. 
you know, they, they blamed him for snitching effectively. Um, but, you know, one of the things he said was that for the guy to publish the story, he needed two people at, at minimum to corroborate the story. So he said, you know, forget the fact that one, I'm denying that I ever said anything. But two, if he needed two people, it couldn't have only been, math says that like, it couldn't have only been me. So like, how are you guys solely pinning this on me? There's gotta be somebody else. So I could definitely see why Horace Grant, you know, felt a certain way. The Scott, the Scotty thing is, you know, I, maybe it's personal or something. I don't know. Like I'm not, I don't know those guys, uh, but I can't really, I, I can't begin to comment on that. Yeah. My two favorite parts of the entire thing is one, the Steve Kerr story where they get into like the fist fight yeah. or whatever. And it just showed like one, I think Kerr understanding like, Hey, if you stand up and, and basically back it up, Jordan will respect you. And I think that's kind exactly. of what Scotty, like he just saw him over and over. And then two is uh, the security guard with the Jerry curl, man. That yeah. dude all the time. <laughs> oh yeah. Nah, his Jordan strike was crazy. Crazy. <laughs> I, and, and, and like, I guess part of it, as you're watching, like how much of uh, the behind the scenes stuff, right? So literally we see Jordan like throwing quarters with security guards before the yeah. game. I'm assuming that a lot of that is uh, they pull the best parts, right? You know, and put it into a documentary. But like, is that the general atmosphere before the games for players in the locker room? Or did you feel like that was like, oh, that must have been fun in the 90s because we're not doing any of that type of stuff now? Well, not necessarily shooting quarters. And, and as of now, people don't really have uh, their own personal locker rooms away from the locker room. But in terms of the banter and the joking and, you know, that type of stuff, yeah, that, that's, that's definitely consistent in the NBA locker room. You got to remember, like, these are 15 highly competitive guys um, who are about to, you know, kind of go to war in a sense. You know, you don't want to be on all the time. You want to be on, you know, an hour, two hours before the game, up until the game ends. But when the game does end, especially after wins, you want to kind of be able to turn off and, you know, so in those moments, you're definitely going to see more quarter type of atmosphere and guys laughing and joking with each other. Yeah, makes sense. Um, since last time we talked, there's been a bunch of chaos in the financial markets. Uh, yeah. We won't even pretend that we know what's going on, uh, but, but, but uh, just a lot of chaos. How have you thought about uh, kind of your investment portfolio and things that you've looked at from uh, investment opportunities? Like how has that evolved over the last eight to 10 weeks as all of this has been going on? Well, I know a lot of things have been getting hammered. Um, you know, obviously, the, the crypto market as well. I mean, if you trade it, you've been able to kind of capture some of the fluctuations both ways. Um, but I, I don't think anybody could have predicted, obviously, COVID um, as a whole. I, I think the, the scariest part, even though, you know, it is seemingly necessary at the moment in terms of like, you know, the, the SBA or, you know, the, the, uh, what, what do they call it? The $1,200 a month or, or stimulus whatever. Stimulus check. Stimulus, there we go. Um, it's it's turning to helicopter money, man. Like, it's it's crazy because, you know, they just printed $6 trillion over the last, what is it, like several months. Uh, how how we recover from this, I have I have no idea. You know, I mean, we, we all obviously have our theories and, and hope it goes one direction in part because obviously it benefits us as well because we're kind of, part of that vanguard um you know solution but it's it's tough I, I don't i don't think this gets better uh quickly because i don't think people necessarily understand the ramifications like if, if the market goes through 
uh, normal cycle. I, I would I would assume the U.S. at some point in time has to experience uh, hyperinflation. I mean, it's it's a <laughs> it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that they're printing, and they're not showing signs of slowing down either. Yeah. And I guess like NBA players or other athletes are in a very unique position, right? Because most people who would have the type of income that an NBA player has, uh, they're either very, very deep on finance, like literally an expert, you know, whether a trader, investor, whatever, uh, they've built big businesses, et cetera. Uh, one of the trends over the last couple of years in the league has been people getting very sophisticated about business, about investing yep. and, and all of that. So do you hear teammates or other players in the league talking about this stuff right now in terms of maybe not like, hey, the stock market's down, but the, the more like structural issues or the longer term impact of this type of stuff, or are they just focused on playing basketball right now and, and not talking about it as much? Um, you, you know, you actually hear more conversations about like the stock market being down or people getting into BC and things like that. I don't think uh, people have uh, really kind of gone deep enough to really talk about like the actual structural issues of the economy, um, you know, or the way we stopped the 08, kind of artificially stopped the 08 recession with the bailouts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, those are things that aren't really talked about in the NBA locker room. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough, man. I mean, to, to be able to have disposable income during this time period is definitely a blessing. Um, obviously, if, if you uh, invest into the storm and you are able to kind of strike right, um, you know, you have good people around you that are able to kind of steer you in the right direction, you have the capability to really come out you know, more than on top on the back end, but, but this is going to get tough for everybody. You know, if the league wasn't coming back, I mean, you know, they're talking about uh, cutting salaries for, you know, a, a period of time and, you know, it's already an escrow system. So that already holds a portion of the salaries and all that other stuff. So, you know, it's, it's not as easy um, on us as some may seem. And, and it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough time for everybody. You know, it, it just really is. Yeah. And, and I guess the last thing I want to finish up on is uh, the smartest players obviously are surrounded by a lot of smart people. And these people have yeah. been investing capital uh, for athletes and others for a long period of time. Um, how much has Bitcoin and crypto kind of infiltrated those portfolios or those conversations with what I'll call kind of the, the financial advisors to players, right? So players, obviously, my expectation would be some of them care, some of them don't, and, and it's all personal preference. But the financial advisor is supposed to understand all the different asset classes and yeah. kind of give recommendations. What, what's going on there with Bitcoin and, and those financial advisors? Um, I don't talk to financial advisors that frequently in terms of like others. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely have heard a rise in, you know, the frequency of blockchain being brought up, um, um, amongst those conversations, you know, obviously everybody knows about 2017 boom, everybody knows about the crash and kind of its fluctuations down in between, but I think people are really starting to kind of expand the horizons because they're not understanding what's going to, you know, come next. And I don't think anybody really does, you know, we all have our guesses, but I think as they're starting to say, hold up, this doesn't really make too much sense. And it's not just our economy that's going through it. There's a lot of economies, uh, most of them really around the, the world that are going through something like, how can we start to protect our clients and obviously make them money because, you know, they get paid by assets under management. So the better they do, you know, the, 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 sorry, the better the, the client does, the more money they make as well. Um, and I mean, we just, we just had, uh, you know, Tudor Jones not too long ago say, uh, you know, he, he's now in Bitcoin. So, you know, it's, 
it's definitely going to continue. The, the, the bug is going to continue to spread. So you know, I'm excited about that. For sure. Uh, to end, I usually ask questions, uh, two questions, but I've already asked them to you. So I got two new ones for you. If you're, right. the NBA, if you're the NBA commissioner for a day, what's the one rule that you would change in the league? Oh, I would allow player contracts and ownership of teams to be democratized if they so chose. Bring all right. them all in. I love it. I love it. Last question is, if you were president of the United States for a day, what's the one thing you would do? That <laughs> smile. Come on. What, what did you just think of? <laughs> no, no, no. No. Um, Oh man, no. Uh, ooh. Ooh, that's a lot. I don't know. Is there a drone around here? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, nah, man, that's that's tough. That's tough because obviously we talk about finance and it's a you know predominantly financial uh, platform. I mean, you got prison reform, you got all types of things. The president thing is, is hard. You know what I mean? But one of the things that definitely sticks out of my mind has to be, has to be prison reform. We, we look at everybody making money off legal marijuana right now and how many people have life sentences and 20 and 25 year sentences on marijuana. Like I, you, you got to change that. You have to, you know, and, and then, and then the prison system being privatized and all that stuff, you know, people are making money, you know, they're making money off of the wrongdoings of other people, which to me is a wrongdoing because if you're, if you can incentivize somebody to do something wrong because you have financial gain, then you're part of the problem. You're pushing them towards that, you know, end goal so you can profit. Right. So I would say from a personal standpoint, that would be one thing, uh, from a personal gain perspective, I mean, we can start doing something about printing this money and switch it over, uh, you know, what, which currencies we're going to use and how we're going to use them. So that's, uh, that, that's where I would go. But, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. I love it, man. Listen, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to do this with you. You, uh, you got a lot of ideas. And, and the part that I like about it is most people who have ideas, they're, they're unwilling to uh, kind of share them with the world because they're scared yeah. that uh, the backlash right? Definitely. But uh, I, I, uh, I tell people all the time, look, not only do you share them, you get in the comments, right? You're, you're, there, you're, you're there and you're explaining, you're defending, right? You're doing all this kind of stuff, which I think is important, right? Because we live in a society where uh, as more and more people become afraid to do that, less innovation happens, right? You need Definitely. to explore those ideas in order to, to kind of come up with where we're going next. Exactly. And, and you got you to gotta understand the value of different opinions. You know, some people obviously go crazy in the comments and just want to be rude. That's one thing. But, you know, there are people that ask really uh, thought-provoking questions and they make me expand. You know, they, they make me explain why it's nuanced this way or nuanced that way. Or maybe their little nugget actually propels the idea forward. So, you know, I, I welcome it. And like I said, I, I hope Twitter continues to be a, a conversation platform for me. Absolutely, man. Where, uh, where, where can people go to find out more if they want to learn about um, the uh, tokenization? Uh, dreamfanshares.com um, and other than that just contact Tritorion Capital broker deal on record um, like I said try to not speak about this uh, in detail too much just because you know SEC FINRA I love you guys my dog <laughs> <laughs> alright Spencer look, I appreciate you doing this we'll do it again soon <laughs>
Appreciate you. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. My goal is to educate as many people with these conversations as possible. So please go subscribe on your favorite podcast channel, leave a five-star rating, and a review. These things really help the podcast get higher up on the popularity charts, which ultimately brings more people to learn. Also, don't forget you can go to YouTube to watch each conversation in video format as well. Just search my name, Anthony Pompliano, on YouTube, and you'll find our channel with hundreds of awesome and informative videos. Thanks again for listening to this one, and I'll see you for the next one.